Welcome to this week's episode. We have Dr. Courtney Tracy, who is a licensed clinical social worker and a doctor of clinical psychology, who has become one of the most recognizable names on social media regarding mental health. Within the last 12 months, Dr. Tracy has been featured in the New York Times, the LA Times, CNN, ABC, NBC, Bustle, Fox, and more. And she's also a regular contributor for Good Morning America and Netflix. Trailblazing with an amassed online community of over 1.7 million followers, Dr. Tracy uses her platform with two goals in mind, to teach about how the body and mind work through psychoeducation and to destigmatize mental health in all sectors of our human existence. She's pioneering a new wave of authentic professionalism and offers an unparalleled voice in the world of mental health. This is exactly what I'm trying to do. This is why this podcast is created. So let's get right into it and talk with Dr. Tracy. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I'm so excited to have a huge name in the mental health world on social media. And probably, I don't know her, but in real life, probably an amazing therapist. I'm so excited to have Dr. Courtney Tracy on, or the truth doctor, as she's well known for with, I think, what is it, a million followers on TikTok or something like that, Um, really bringing a massive awareness to mental health. So I have a whole idea on that afterwards, but I want to give the floor to to Dr. Courtney. Can you please kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and let them know who you are? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. My name is Dr. Courtney Tracy. I'm known on the internet as the truth doctor. And right now I am at 1.7 million followers on the internet. And it still feels really weird to say that (laughs) because that's like a lot of people. But the way that I see it is those are all people that are hungry for information about how their mind and body work. I would say maybe partially it has something to do with me and the way that I deliver it, but they're not following me because I'm a car mechanic, right? They're following me because I'm a therapist. So what we are doing in terms of the messages that we're sharing is so, 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 so important. And as a licensed clinical social worker and a doctor of clinical psychology and a former founder and CEO of a treatment center and professor of a master's program and all the things that qualify me to speak on, on mental health, the time I know that the time that we are in right now is the time when mental health is going to become destigmatized. And it's podcasts like yours and mine that are contributing to that destigmatization. I appreciate you putting me into that category of yours. Um, you said, and I know you you talk about this, and there, there's so much content to go through to even kind of to even bring up things that you talk about because you do such an amazing job and been doing this for long enough that you have an abundance of content, which is amazing for you. Um, but why both LCSW? I'm an LCSW myself. Why that and the clinical um, uh, doctorate in psychology? What what came first, or why do both? Well, psychology in general came first, like for most people with just the bachelor's in psychology. And I went on to social work because I lived in the system, some of the systematic issues that arose from poverty, from serious mental health issues, from family issues. And so I really wanted to take a look at how 
society affects the family that affects the individual and then going the other way around as well. So social work really gave me that foundation of micro, meso, macro, but it didn't give me, you know, I could take some electives of psychopathology and, you know, clinical neuroscience, but I couldn't, that wasn't the main focus of the program. And so going on to get a doctorate in clinical psychology, I really got to hone in on assessment, treatment, uh, diagnosis, and just overall more of the theories of, of, of the clinical aspects versus the societal aspects. So you were in school for probably what, seven years or so, eight years, 12 years, starting from my undergrad all the way up. And it did take me five years to do undergrad versus four, but that's because I also had a lot of substance use issues back in the day, but yeah, 12 years of straight school. It was a lot. (laughs) The funny thing is you're telling the story. I've always dreamed of going back to school to get my clinical uh, psychologist ID or a PhD in in psychology. And I was so afraid to even jump to that route to begin with because I loved the social work world of what it brought. And I thought to myself, like LCSW, I can be a private therapist. And I am. I think I do a pretty okay job. You know, I might not be the most seasoned. I'm only 30, almost 30. So I haven't been around long enough to consider myself an expert and any of those things, but I love that you realized that and went that way. Was it weird jumping into that either new world or different world that is somewhat similar, but not at the same time? It was not difficult for me, but school overall never has been. I, I just, I really thrive in, in, in the academic setting. And so for me, it was just more, absorption of information that I knew could help me and someone else. And, and in order to get through my life, I've, I've had to learn how to uh, systematically compartmentalize my whole life to survive. And so I can really compartmentalize even Mm -hmm. academic topics. And then, you know, bringing that all the way down to like the anxiety and trauma I go through is I'm just really good at putting things in boxes where they belong. That's great. <laughs> and, I, and I love that passion behind it because I was afraid to go the side D or PhD route because of my ADHD. And I'm mm. not a school person. I'm a knowledge education person. I love, like I'm a, I'm a sponge. I read therapy books, nonfiction books all the time. And I'm not just talking about the classic self-help books or the Brene Browns or the Mark Mansons or that, but like right. the, the real you know, therapy-based, you know, practices on OCD, on Mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, suicidality, like the real nitty gritty research, like the Lucifer effect size kind of books we're talking, (laughs) you know, that we can never get through, but I love that stuff. I just knew that for me, school was just not the route. And I knew I wanted to be a private therapist. And some days I think, I sometimes I, w- I wonder, like, what would have been like yeah. to go back to school? So I admire the fact that you did that very much, which makes me admire you even more because I know the journey that you've been on, watching your stuff, being mm-hmm. a fan. And and then for you, when did you create The Truth Doctor? What was that journey to then, you know, have that title or that name that you now embody so well? Well, thank you for asking that. Yeah, it was a really, really intense journey, I think, getting to be the truth doctor. So, you know, well, I, I finished my master's program at the end of 2016, and I immediately decided I was going to go into my doctorate because I just wasn't done yet and wasn't comfortable <laughs> letting myself relax in any capacity. So I went straight into my doctorate. But and the reason why I'm, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit is because I, I did my doctorate in a self-paced online non-accredited program. There's a reason for that. 
because I was also starting my business, the business that I founded and was the CEO for four years, as well as doing IVF to have a child, as well as so many other things I was doing all at the same time. So for anyone who's thinking about going to go get a doctorate, there you you know it's like oh i have to do it full time accredited program that's the only way i'm going to be taken seriously and that's just not true and so i'm just kind of throwing it out there as part of the truth of me becoming a doctor in general is you don't have to live up to society's expectations if you know what you're talking about and what you're capable of. So just throwing that out there <laughs> that you don't I have to go that. to the best school. <laughs> I love that. You know, and and to, to jump for a second, I knew you went through the IVF journey. Uh, and I didn't want to bring it up, but I, I, my wife and I did as well. Mm. Um, and that was really a part of our conversation about what my schooling was because we needed to afford treatment, because we needed to do X, Y, and Z, because of my time crunch and all those other factors that came into it within my marriage and personal life impacted my decision of being a therapist and jumping into making money. Not a lot. It was terrible. Um, You know, starting off in a clinic, you know, a community clinic and working crazy hours, long hours, but a lot of it had to do with our IVF treatment. Mm -hmm. And I love that you said that because one of the things that I truly admire, and I know I say that word, I'm going to say it about 12 more times uh, on this podcast with you, is the idea that you you brand yourself as a no BS therapist, right? And you can curse on here if you want. Don't worry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put explicit. I'll make sure everyone knows. Um, but the idea of being authentic, and that word is thrown out a little too much sometimes, and yeah. it's not backed up by any realness, but like, I'm authentic. I'm posting a picture. Right. How do you show up as an authentic, no BS therapist in a world that has so many rules, ethics, and regulations is one of the biggest questions I have for today. Cause I know I struggle with that as a therapist. And I think in the world that we're in the modern therapy world, which is yeah. breaking those boundaries and those rules and ethics down, how do you balance that for yourself? I love that question. And I think that that answer, you know, my answer to this one will be similar to the answer of the one that I didn't actually answer just a second ago, which was being the truth. Doctor. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, I think that one of the underlying truths that I know about life is that we've really made a lot of, we've made everything up. We have made everything up to survive Not only do we do that ourselves over the course of our lives, we make up our beliefs and the things we like and the things we don't like because they relate to our past or they, you know, will lead us towards our future. But we've also done that as a society. And that's what's created the education system, the political system, the legal system, any system, the academic system, really whatever it is. And so I just am not. So I keep that in mind. I keep in mind that we've made all of this up. And then I also keep in mind that I'm going to die. Like, that's really part of it. It's that I keep in mind that I'm going to die and that I need to make choices and I have a right to make choices that I know can better myself and better the people around me. And I, and I, and so I'm not afraid, Like I acknowledge every single day that I'm going to die and that everybody that I love is going to die. And everybody that's alive right now is going to die. And everyone that's alive right now wasn't alive 110 years ago. Nobody was. And so we're in this constant cycle of change and we're in this this constant cycle of needing to show up as who we really are in order to have our life be worth it. So when I think about ethics and I think about the guidelines of being a therapist, I think that 
I think that people like other therapists, for example, are, are afraid to, to figure out what those lines and what those ethics can mean for them as an individual. So when it says like, you know, don't self-disclose or sort of like be a blank slate or whatever it is. I mean, and, and I have to say, like, I'm a very competent and qualified clinician. I understand why those things exist, but I also think we take them a little bit too seriously at times. And it also, it actually prevents us from being truly authentic. Being authentic is not just wearing sweatpants instead of a cardigan. It's, it's, it's allowing yourself to feel what the other person is feeling and allow the other person in a clinically competent and appropriate way to feel what you're feeling too, because that is human connection and that is true authenticity. And I'm interested in being the disruptor of this field to say, it's not unethical that I talk about the fact that I've cheated on my husband and done cocaine. It's like, it's just not unethical because if it was unethical, then that would imply that it's wrong. And then what are we saying to every single client that comes into therapy that's cheated on their husband or has done cocaine? It's saying, don't talk about this. Mm. It's bad. And I'm not interested in making people feel that way because it's not the truth. <laughs> I love that. You are like my, my, my fiery passion is like, like building up because I agree with you <laughs> so much in so many ways. And I think that there's such a a vehement reaction for people to go like, what are you doing? You're talking about this. Oh my gosh. And sometimes it really is for any therapist or mental health professional who's on, who's listening, which I hope you are. It's about timing. It's about timing and how you do it. It's not really what you're saying because you can say the same thing in three different ways. And one way is the correct way for how you want to be as a therapist for you. And you don't have to disclose if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I personally believe as a, as a therapeutic process, sometimes I don't. And sometimes I do. When yeah. I have a client who's heard me do a podcast on chronic illness and they call me and say, hey, Ellie, I really want to be your, your client. I have a chronic illness. They now know I have a chronic illness. What am I going to do? Hide it from them? Lie? No, the truth's out. I have Crohn's. Big deal. Now they have a connection. They feel comfortable. They feel connected in some way. It is now a human to human relationship. Yes, I am the therapist. Yes, they are the client. Yes, there is a power struggle there, which is a whole different conversation. That doesn't mean I can't be human in the relationship and be connected. And it's funny that when people ask me when they, when we're being, you know, the uh, consultation part of like the free consultation that every therapist does of like, Hey, you want to be my therapist and let me prove to you why kind of conversation. And I tell them, I'm not going to sit back and say, how does that make you feel? Uh Uh-huh. Tell me more. That's old school. I'm not like that. I'm an active process. I'm involved with you. And they go, whoa, no one's told me that before. (laughs) And I find that so sad because people like yourself are doing it so often. And it's people like you that are are pushing the boundaries and, and pushing back on expectations. I remember when I was in grad school, I had a professor, sorry, undergrad, Professor Alan Perry, who I love to pieces, is the reason I'm a therapist. Um, I admire everything he does. And he was very blunt and in our faces about things. And I taught, I learned so much from him. And he said, back in the seventies, homosexuality was a mental disorder. And all of a sudden people decided it wasn't. And everyone now came out and now it was okay. That was a construct that we created that caused people to think it wasn't okay. And then now it is okay. And it takes people to push those boundaries 
to push back and say, who made this up? Who mm -hmm. thought about this? Who said this? Why is it there? What does this really mean? Now, I don't even need to get political and about sexuality and stuff of that nature, but it's true. And he looked around and half of his colleagues were all of a sudden gay. And he said, oh my gosh, because before they couldn't, because they wouldn't be able to practice with their license. And then all of a sudden a day later they could. It's all about the things we create, the boundaries that we have put into place. And the question that I have for you about all this stuff is, how do you create that boundary for yourself? Where is that line for you as a modern therapist who's trying to push the boundaries? When is it too much and when is it not enough for you? I know I'm on a little tangent, sorry. No, no, and great question. And I think that therapists are taught in school some self-disclosure is okay, very minimal self-disclosure is okay, or just, just don't do it. And I think we should have an entire class, an entire course on the fact that you are in the room with your own shit. I mean, we have classes on, on transference and counter-transference, but that's not the same thing. It's just, it's not the same thing. That is, that's what happens throughout the process of therapy, but you are a human being sitting in a room that has their own experiences while listening to your client, who's a human being that has their own experiences. When you are a therapist and you are wanting to begin the process of finding a balance between self-disclosure and not disclosing anything, it's you really have to figure out why you may be self-disclosing in the session. Because I have had therapists, new therapists. So you know, the, the center that I owned for four years, um, it was a training center for clinical and, and counseling master's level therapists. So important. So, so important. important. And they were told, don't self-disclose right now. And that's because they were still getting their own therapy. They were still figuring out their own triggers for when a certain topic arose in therapy. And, and they, they needed continued supervision to figure out, if I am going to talk about this, how much do I share? What details do I give and what details do I not? Anytime I'm sitting in session with a client, because we're humans, this client will say something and something's going to pop up in our head about our life. Oh, like that has been said to me before, or, oh, I like have another client that had that experience and this worked really well. And you, as therapists, all these things are running through our mind of what's the next best thing to say and whether or not you're trying to decide, should I self-disclose or should I not? The question should always be before anything comes out of your mouth, why am I going to say this? And the answer should be, if you should say it, because it's going to benefit the client. Mm, yes. That, that's it. Yeah. And, and I love that when, you know, when uh, I'm on podcasts or I'm doing some conversation or having conversation with other colleagues or people, and they ask me some of the main things that you should look for in a therapist. And the biggest thing I say is that if you know more about your therapist than they know about you, that is really inappropriate and you should get out. That's a red flag because they're self-disclosing in such a way that they're using you mm -hmm. as their therapist. And that's not okay. Like I plan on having when I have an office to have a picture of my family, my child, my wife. That makes me a family man. I'm not trying to do it to get more clients. I'm doing it because that makes me who I am. I'm a parent. I'm a father. Yeah. And, and that's something that I value. I'm a husband. Yeah. I'm married. I do couples therapy. You know, like I do all these things. So for me, it's about creating an image that I'm a human. I'm a person. Mm -hmm. 
that has their own shit. And I love that you said that because I have stressors every day that I come into therapy. And I was told when I was first training was when that door opens, you turn it off. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not so simple and it's not so easy, so easy to compartmentalize and put your stuff aside, but it shouldn't impede on your therapeutic abilities. Exactly. And, and you that's said the hard part for new therapists. Completely. And you said something right there where you said, where you said, you know, having that picture of your family is that you're, you're creating an image that you're a human being. And one thing I would argue is to say that, 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 and I don't think, I don't think you meant it in the way that you said it, but I think to clarify, it's that you're actually just not creating an image that you're only a therapist. Two totally different things, actually. It's a huge distinction. I love that. Yeah. And I, and, and then, and so, and something else really great that you just said was like, you, the client shouldn't know more about you than you know about the client. And so something that could come up is like, well, what about you, Courtney? All you do is tell all of your stories online. You break down saying you're having suicidal ideation, that you, you know, have just all of these things going on in your life. The client's going to know everything about you. And I think that what's really important to, to, to say is that for anybody out there who assumes that just because you know everything about me, that you know everything about me, you don't. Mm -hmm. Because I can put everything out there about my personal life, but what you're not seeing is just how much of an actual fucking professional I am Mm. and how, and how I can manage in the session. If a client says, you know, you talked about that time where you woke up upside down in the passenger seat of your car with vomit all over yourself when you were 16 from drinking so much. Let I want to talk about that. I'm not going to sit there and be like, yeah, I was having such a hard time in my life. And like, thank you so much for bringing it up. I would say it's very interesting that 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 story of mine has become relevant to you. What made you attached to that? Tell me about it. What came up for you? And, and, and that's just, you know, and then the whole session could be about my experience at 16 passing out, but it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about their perception, their interpretation, what it means to them. If they learned my, if they learned a lesson from my lesson and we are, we need to be told and given permission as therapists that we can disclose our personal life and it doesn't have to make us incapable of being a professional in the room. Yeah. How do you handle, and I'm sure you handle it a lot, maybe hopefully not as much as I'm thinking, haters from other professionals? You know, I surprisingly haven't received any hate. I am so (laughs) happy because, you know, I I talk once in a while. I had a few haters about how much I was posting about being a father or a parent Mm. and posting pictures of my child, posting pictures of my family and things of that nature. And I got so surprised. And when I actually talked to the person who was messaging me saying that I was being inappropriate as a therapist and I should know better um, and not to disclose and not to talk about things that are who you are and individuals and all that kind of stuff, they, they just, we came to a conclusion that they're just more conservative about that. And it made them feel uncomfortable. Mm. Not that I was doing anything wrong, but the idea of opening up about who I am, about my past, you know, I wrote, I've written blogs on my struggles with ADHD having my first panic attack when, after my kid was born, having chronic illness, the idea of marriage and what it means, all that kind of stuff, how I'm a religious guy. I'm a Jewish Orthodox guy, how that plays into me as an individual, my marriage, my therapeutic, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It doesn't make me a bad therapist. 
Right. I think I'm pretty good at what I do. And I love that you brought that point up about people seeing things on social media or on whatever platform, a podcast or whatever TV show or thing that you are doing. And you're doing so many and such great things. And they can, you can't stop them from looking. And I remember when I was in grad school, I was like, oh, you should create a fake name and you should could lock your pictures and all those things to be like, you don't exist in life. Mm-hmm. And I was so turned off by that because I do exist. I am a person and to not exist for the benefit of what, Yeah. what's going to happen. Right. So when you brand yourself as a truth doctor, I find it so freeing. And I think during COVID specifically, I've really tuned into your stuff a lot more Um, Not that I didn't do before, but I really just was really honing in on it because mental health is becoming so prominent and it's really coming out that mental health is really important. I think COVID flicked a switch in people to understand that maybe they thought they were functioning well before, but now they're not. Mm -hmm. How has that changed? How have you seen that change and how have you dealt with that as a, as a professional? Yeah, well, (laughs) the pandemic is something that (laughs) I love that reaction. (laughs) Uh, it's just, you know, I, I, I don't think that it's even really possible right now to, to describe what it's done to us because it, we're still in it and you, you can't process something you're still in to a degree. Um, but what I've realized and I don't know, I, I feel like I've sort of paved the way for this to a degree, but I've realized, and I think what we've all, I, I think doctors have as well, medical doctors, people in the actual medical field have done this too over COVID is like, we're not fucking okay. Like we are not okay. And we are not immune to mental health issues and to pain and to seeing millions of people die and to be ripped from our daily routine. And, and, and I think that that, I think that was the breaking point for people to, to be like, mental health is not something that we can ignore anymore because the people that we are supposed to look to as stable blank slates that just hold information that can cure us and save our lives are struggling too. And we have to acknowledge that this thing exists And so I really think that we're just in this phase of being incapable of being ignorant of what happens in our mind and our body outside of physical illness. There's just no avoiding it at this point. So true. I think, you know, when I was working at a community clinic in the height of COVID, the biggest diagnosis, which really doesn't mean that much because a diagnosis is just a title for billing and all the other stuff, and maybe giving a background explanation to someone uh, that you're seeing or they get passed along to was adjustment disorder. Mm. It was like, why are you here? I don't know how to handle the pandemic. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. Uh, my life is turned over and it's all changed. And it wasn't that they had full-blown, you know, generalized anxiety or major depression, and it wasn't hitting the criteria for those things. It was, how do I adjust to life? Because life is just totally a shit show and threw everything in the fan. And that to me brought out so much realness for people in therapy, for people who wanted to go in therapy, maybe debated it forever. And now they're like, wait, I really need help. I need to talk to someone because I can't do this on my own. And I think what the big thing for me was as a therapist was that I was going through it as well. Mm-hmm. We were going through it as well. 
whether it is the black community and my friends who are black therapists going through all the stuff, whether George Floyd and, and the BLM movement and, 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 and them having to sit with their clients who are also part of the black community and bond over that yet before, right. Whether it's just the general pandemic frustrations, whether it's death and families and friends, we all went through something that was so hard and traumatic to some extent, um, depending on the person and how they were handling it. But we were also going through this therapist. So sometimes it was very hard to kind of put that aside and then mm-hmm. show up in the session and be okay. And uh, it was amazing to see for me as a therapist, how we kind of got through that and are still going through it today. Um, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. And there's going to be ripple effect when it comes to the mental health uh, struggle, which is why I think you said so beautifully in the beginning, like this is the beginning of, of breaking down the stigma because we are talking about it more um, yeah. f- for you and your, and your journey. What has been the most exciting part of going through being the truth doctor? Has there been a moment in this career that you're still going through so strong where you're like, wow, I think I'm doing a great job or, or I'm making a, a, um, a move or doing something big for the mental health community, whether it was being on a show or, or some breaking point where you're like, damn straight, like I'm doing something great. Where was that for you? Mm. Thank you for asking that. I, hey, we're about know- promoting you. This is your episode, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I practice Buddhism, so I practice non-attachment and non-aversion, which also is why I'm not afraid to die. Um, I, when I think about all of like the wonderful things that I've done where people are like, holy shit, my life would be made like working with Netflix or being on Good Morning America four times or owning my own business and selling it for money. That's going to make my child never have to have the childhood I had. And, you know, all of those things are, those, those are all sort of material things other than my son having a great life, but those are like their, their brands, their labels, their experiences. And, and all of those things are, are great. And, and I'm so um, grateful for the privilege to be able to do all of those things with my platform but I don't think that what I want to do with the truth doctor has happened yet. And what is what that? I, what I really want to do is, you know, I want people to truly, truly understand how mental health feeds into every aspect of our lives. And so, you know, there's what, and it's like, yeah, of course you want to do that. What does that mean? Um, I, you know, there's some other, relatively new mental health creators that I've been talking to, like Jake Goodman, who is a a residency, a resident psychiatrist. He wants to get into politics to affect mental health. I'm really interested in getting into media, clearly. (laughs) But what I mean by that is like Dr. Phil is like the top mental health show. And it's so, um, it's actually a stigmatizing show Mm -hmm. and it makes people feel it really, you know, it makes people feel like shit, like the, the, the guests on there. And I worked in treatment. I owned a treatment center. I understand that they, you know, I, I know firsthand of people going on the doctors or people going on Dr. Phil and they are addicts or alcoholics, and they are given the substances that they are addicted to so that they aren't withdrawing on stage. And then they are sent to whatever treatment center will pay the most money for the advertising on that episode, even if it's not the most appropriate place for that person to go. I want to be 
a public provider for mental health that does it the right fucking way, that does it ethically, that does it with good intention, and that does it without giving people permission to treat people with mental health issues like shit. That's my goal with the media. And so that hasn't happened yet. It may be happening within the next six to nine months. And the next thing that I want to do is- No spoilers, no spoilers. No spoilers is I want to- really change the way therapists are taught about how to be in the room with a human being or how to be online with another human being, whatever, you know, whatever, in whatever medium you're giving therapy is. I don't want people to graduate with a degree with the potential to get licensed as a therapist without being given permission, boundaries, and explanations of how to show up as a human at the same time as a therapist. And I don't know if that looks like creating a curriculum and pushing my way in to have these courses created in universities, but that's my goal. My goal is to truly change the way mental health providers are given permission to show up and to truly change the way that mental health shows up in media because media is is a parent and media is a therapist and media is a regulatory body over what we think, feel, say, and do. And so we have to get into that area too, because sometimes that makes even more of a societal shift than politics ever has. Yes. Yes to everything. I I, I can't wait to watch. I'm really excited. And I also feel the same way about the media part. You know, in, in 2019, I got on the Kelly Clarkson show for a real hot second and it was a huge accomplishment for me. And the funny part was the part that I was going to promote mental health and talk about mental health was cut. It didn't make it. It got pushed aside because of timing. This went too long. That went too long. And I was waiting for that moment to say, here I am as a therapist. And here's what mental health is truly about. And I was going to talk about fatherhood and parenting and anxiety and depression in men for mental health after having a child. And I was so amped. I was so ready and it never happened. But I got on the show and it was really exciting. And since then I've had the bug. I've had the energy and the fight, which is why I have the podcast, which is why I want to write books someday to bring mental health into someone's home in a caring, empathetic way that is done right and well. And I love that you do that as well. It is so important. I love that you shot down Dr. Phil. I feel very similar. And as someone who is on the other side of it, seeing what goes on behind the scenes, it is not so simple. People aren't just coming on the show and having mental health issues. It could be an actor. It could be fake. It could be pushed. It can, it can be an agenda. It could be whoever's sponsoring the episode. And that narrate, that 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 narrates how we view it, how we then intake it, and what we then think. And that's not really important because that's not healthy. That doesn't That doesn't really give us a real vision and a real life look at what mental health truly is and how to treat mental health. So when you talk about the media, it is my dream. It is my passion to get to that point as well, to help bring a real voice, an honest voice, a real viewpoint on mental health. So thank you so much for bringing up that dream. I don't know what's happening in six to nine months. I don't care. <laughs> it sounds awesome. I love like the little mystery behind it. It gets me excited. And then the real question I have kind of maybe a bigger question is in the world that we live in today, and I'm not trying to get into politics or religion That's a different, not my podcast. The idea of truth, right? Because we always throw this world. This is a fact. This is my fact. This is our fact. This is your fact. This is his fact. This political group is saying this is real and here's why. And this political group is saying here's real. How do you understand what is your kind of criteria for what you then put out as truth versus what might be a myth about truth? 
Hmm. Yeah. My definition of truth is unadulterated reality. That's how I define it. Unadulterated reality. But all of our realities are different. And so what I try to do is help people understand how the mind and body work because our mind and body attach to experiences. And then those experiences alter all the way down to our genes, all the way up to the big ideas that we have about life, who we are, what we want, what we're going to do, who we're going to do it with. Mm-hmm. And so my, my intention is to help people figure out their own unadulterated reality. And, and, and a very, very surface level, simple explanation that I give is I spent the majority of my life thinking I was introverted. And of course, there's introverted and extroverted is like sort of foundational in who you are, but then your experiences change that. And so I spent a lot of my life thinking I'm an introvert. I'm not. I'm traumatized as fuck and really severely anxious. Um, but I really like people. But I lived for so long saying like, you know, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? I'm an introvert. That's my truth. That's who I am. But that's not true because my unadulterated reality is that I actually really love people and really want to connect with people. But because of the things that I've experienced, because of my my adulterated reality, I I missed that. I, I forgot that. It's, I forgot that. And, and I never actually really met that part of myself because my life changed me at a very young age. So the truth is a doctor. The truth is a doctor because the truth heals. The truth gives you permission to get yeah. back to, to get back to who you really were. And, and even if you never knew who you really were, because your life was always messed up, you get to decide who you really are by undoing. How do you get to that reality, right? You said you had to go through that journey to look back and go, oh, wow, I really am an extrovert from that, whatever, probably a deeper conversation about that. But how do you get to that sense of reality when the media is pushing certain things, the books you might be reading, the magazines, the information you're taking in from social media, how do you kind of push that aside and see the unadulterated reality for what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really, really goes back to the psychoeducation of how the mind and body work, because once you understand consumerism (laughs) and the fact that people that make commercials and people that make clothes and people that like, they know how your mind works and they are using your mind against you. And this isn't some crazy conspiracy theory because you can take it to a a conspiracy level, but this is the, this is the truth. People who know more about how you work than you do are making you work for them. So you have to start to understand how your mind and body work because then no one's going to be able to pull a fast one on you. You're not going to get affected by the media that wants you to be skinny or by the media that wants you to be white or politics that wants you to be straight. It's like you you learn about fear. You learn about human behavior, why people do the things that they do, why you do the things that you do and why you feel the way that you feel and think the way that you think. You gain agency back over your own reality. And then people can't fuck with you anymore after that. <laughs> I think that and that's it, and why. And it means doing your own research, right? Completely. One of the biggest things that I, I can't stand is I love social media. I use it. I need it for my business, for branding, right? But I hate it at the same time because 
one tagline can be shared a billion times over by one famous person. And that's taken as truth and fact. Right. When in reality, no one has even read the post or looked into it themselves to research and find out what is this person actually talking about? But so-and-so and so-and-so shared it. So I have to share it, which then gets shared more because this person shared vice versa, so on and so on. Mm-hmm. But no one ever looked into it the first time of when it was shared for the first time. But it's branding. It's marketing. It's, it's, it's paid for. It's pushed. And I think even from the simplest thing, like if you go to Vegas, right, the Vegas strip is used against you to make money. Mm-hmm. And you think that you're betting all on your own. You're not. There's no clocks. The colors are a certain way to get you to stay longer and become. There's free drinks and alcohol. They pump oxygen in there so you stay longer, right? And that's just one simple thing that is proven that they do that. The hard part then is when do you start reading into everything where it starts getting to the point where it's then conspiracies or reading or theories versus actual truth and fact. And that means trusting people who you can rely on like yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Like doctors, like media experts, people who are on top of their field that you have looked in deeper and trust their opinion. And at some point, it's about giving into that trust. Mm-hmm. That's very hard to do sometimes because it's hard to trust nowadays because who knows who's pushing what button and who's pulling what string. And it can be very scary at times. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So where you're like, and a- after this, we'll wrap up because I can really talk about truth and the idea of where it gets to for hours and mental health because you're such a vast wealth of knowledge. What are like one to three books or resources that are something that you know as truth or things that you can kind of recommend for people. And I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but like that kind of those resources that you would suggest for either mental health or something of that nature where someone can rely on and trust. That is my pause. There was, um, uh, I don't know if there's very many, um, Obviously, I have to say the body keeps the score. The reason for that is I have I looked at every single research article that Bessel van der Kolk put in that book. And he's not wrong. And I also think it's really important that book, again, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk, because he also, in a way, tears down the one book that all therapists use, which is the DSM which is super important to look at with a critical lens. So the body keeps the score. I want to say I'm like looking at my, I don't have very many books up there um, because I don't have any of the like, I don't have the, the Gabrielle Bernstein books. I don't have, I don't have those kinds of books. I don't have time for those kinds of books. Um, But I think, you know, one that isn't a clinical book, but that truly changed my life is Be Here Now by Ram Dass. I absolutely love that book. And for me, what so so the body keeps the score is going to teach you how your mind and body work more so how your body works clearly by the name. The next one, Be Here Now, what it talks about is the dismantling and detachment from what society tells you that you have to be. So you don't have to be this professor that's professional, that has all of these degrees. Um, You can tear that all down and find your true essence. You can find your truth. And that's that whole book is about his journey to do that. Um, 
Yeah. Alongside the creator of LSD, who thought that he had to take substances in order to find out who he really was. And so that is another, it's just another message is that you don't have to go have some like psychedelic experience because the truth is within you. So those two things, those two books, the body keeps the score and be here now. And I guess I think the way I kind of want to leave it with the final suggestion, not that anybody needs to go out and write a novel about their own lives, but I would suggest that you get out a pen and a piece of paper or, you know, your own notebook or laptop or whatever, and start writing because that's going to be the book that's going to help you find your truth, mixing that in with facts about how the mind and body work, but but you know your truth. And that's like what therapists really tell you. It's like, that's why most therapists do open-ended questions. How do you feel about that? What do you think? But they do that too much because then they don't give you enough substance of what you really need to know. But you do know more than you think. You do know more than you think. And so that would be the third thing to read would be your own damn mind and see what's actually in there. (laughs) Great. We're going to end on that note. I love that idea. That's so important to kind of finish off. Where can people find you? Where can people see your your content and uh, get in touch with you? Thetruthdoctor.com on TikTok and Instagram, the period truth period doctor, Twitter and YouTube. I don't know. Search for the truth doctor. <laughs> um, and my podcast, the truth doctor podcast. Um, and then, yeah, I guess just stay tuned and see me on TV soon. Ooh, thank <laughs> you so much, Dr. Courtney Tracy. It was so nice to have you on. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at the dude therapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at the dude therapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.